Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. How many of you believe that our God is undefeated? That it's impossible for him to lose? So I'm speaking to the right crowd, right? All right. And that if we are in him and we uh, function in and through him, that he will fight our battles for us. Now, if you do something stupid, he's not going to fight that battle, but he's going to fight his battles. And when we're in him, he's undefeated. Are you guys following me? So today I want to talk about, Rebecca, you can put it up. Today I want to talk about challenging defeatism. So I just wanted, in the beginning, I just wanted to make sure that I was speaking to the right crowd. So as I was processing with the Holy Spirit, as I was dialoguing with the Holy Spirit, um, I was just saying, Lord, what do you want me to talk on this week? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to challenge or confront defeatism. And I thought, okay, is defeatism a word? Right? Has God ever spoken to you something? You're like, I'm not even sure if that's a word, and you got to look it up. So, as all great scholars do, they type it into Google. And uh, so, I typed defeatism into Google, and there were hundreds of quotes about defeatism. Uh, there were several sermons and presentations on the topic. There were word, this word is often used in the political space, and there were tons of political cartoons. I never heard that word before. I never used the word. I never, it was never in my conversations. And God says, I want you to challenge defeatism. And so apparently defeatism is a thing. And it was something that God wanted me to address. So as I did that extensive research on Google, I discovered that defeatism, here it is, Defeatism is the attitude of accepting, expecting, or being resigned to defeat. I'm going to say that again. The attitude of accepting, expecting, or being resigned to defeat. It also means a way of thinking in which a person expects to lose or fail. So what did I start out this sermon with or this message with? Is our God undefeated? He is. So I would say to be a believer, it would be contrary to defeatism. And so before, before a battle, the person has already resigned to, I've already lost this thing. Before there's a race, I failed. So a defeatist is already thinking how they will fail, expecting, accepting, and resigning to defeat. Now, I will say this. 
I would say there's very few total defeatist, meaning in everything they see defeat. It's possible, sure. But I would say for most of us, there's probably areas in our life where we just resign to defeat. Are you guys following me? Like in one area, you're good. But in another area, you're like, what's the use? Why even try? Right? You know, for you, it might be you're great with finances, but you're terrible with relationships. So you're like, well, it is what it is. Or maybe you're great with relationships, but you're terrible with your finances. And you're like, this is how it's going to always be. You resign yourself to defeat before the battle. Before the race even begins. And remember how I said there was all these political cartoons. And one of the cartoons was, uh, if you could picture it with me, there was a banner uh, of a race, right? So it was at the starting line of the race. And the, the banner basically said, the start of defeatist marathon. <laughs> and in that, there were all these racers and they had these blobs over their head. So you knew what they were thinking, right? And so one of them said, dad was right. I'll never accomplish anything. Even before the race began, this is what they were thinking. I'm too old. If you've ever seen Lethal Weapon, you know the rest of that. You don't remember. It's not worth it. All right. Um, Another one said, look at her. She is in way better shape. So this is at the beginning of the race. This is what they're thinking. Another one was, what's the use? So from the very beginning of the race, they were thinking how they were going to fail. And like I said, for the majority of us, we're not thinking about that in every area of our life. But what about the areas that we do? What about those areas that we've already resigned to defeat? We're already expecting defeat. We're already accepting defeat. And do you realize that consistency will create culture? So a defeatist thinking creates a losing culture. When you already lose before you play the game, that's a losing culture. And I'm talking about an internal culture right now. But many, many years ago, many, many, many years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs (laughs) were a losing culture, right? They were a young team. They were inexperienced. And if they had old players, they weren't very good anymore. Uh, They lost a lot of games. The front office didn't seem to know what they were doing. I know that by they got fired. And uh, there was lots of drama, right? And so it was almost every press conference, and the, report, the reporters would be always asking the, uh, this question in some form or fashion. But the question was, how do you stop this team from creating a losing culture? Because they lost a lot. So they had these young players. How do you stop, and they were speaking to the coach, how do you stop this team from creating a losing culture? And what a losing culture is, is when losing is expected. Maybe you have a team like that now. where Before you even turn on the TV, you're like, well, we know what's going to happen here. 
Maybe next year after the second week. (laughs) And so before players even lace up, they're already resigned to defeat. And how many of you know losing teams or losing uh, franchises that have losing cultures, they find ways to lose, don't they? Have you ever had teams like that? You're up like 30 points and you're very nervous. You're like, they like to lose at this place. They're going to find a way, right? They will find a way. But the Lord delivered us. Uh, (laughs) But in contrast, the winning culture is there is an expectation for greatness, right? There is an expectation that when you lace up, when you put your gear on and run out that tunnel, your expectation is we will win this thing. And their attitude is that they're never out of a game. I remember before Patrick Mahomes, if we were... I think it was last year. It was like third and like 30. I was like, we're good. We're great. We got this thing, right? Because there was an expectation for greatness. And it was, we saw it over and over again. And they find ways to win, right? How many of you watched the playoffs this year? How many of you know what 13 seconds means? (laughs) I remember when 13 seconds happened, I said, Aiden, are you ready to go? He's like, no, dad, let's stick it out. I was like, well, whatever. And then I was mistaken. (laughs) And then we lost next week. But the fact is, they were never out of it. Even when I said, well, it's done. It's over with. Apparently, 13 seconds is long enough. (laughs) So these cultures are developed. Like I said, with the Chiefs, it was very much a losing culture. You expected to lose. But over time, things changed. They brought in a different attitude. They brought in different ways of thinking. They brought in different personnel, and they changed the culture. But are there biblical examples of defeatism? Exodus 13, 17, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, after 10 plagues, Right? I like that. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not leave them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. If you've ever read your your Bible, the Philistines were a problem. Okay? They were a real problem for the Israelites. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. So God says, I'm not going to take them the shortest way. Because it goes on to say, If the people are faced with battle, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. Egypt was not a vacation place. Egypt was a place of oppressive slavery. And God says, I'm not going to take them the way of the Philistines because if they see battle, they're going to want to turn around. Now, understandably, God understood the mentality that was developed in the Israelites over 400 years of oppressive slavery. So, I get it. I understand. But then we see they cross, God, God did these amazing things. They cross the Red Sea and they get to the point where they're going to send in spies, right, to check out the land. So they sent in 12 spies and 10 came back with a, 
bad report, right? And two came back with faith and an expectation, right? So basically what happened is that they allowed this, the spies to speak. And the 10 said, basically, if we go, we will be destroyed. It's an awesome place, but we're going to die. And so the next, next verse, it basically said, and this is in Numbers 13, it basically said that Caleb had to quiet the people down. Do you see their mindset? They heard a bad report, and then they start flipping out, right? And so basically, Caleb quieted them down, and he said, now is the time to go, and we can conquer it. Do you see the different mentality? And so the 10, 10 spies report, we are like grasshoppers, and we will be devoured. So when you have already been defeated in your mind, there is a propensity to overreact. We are just like grasshoppers. We will be devoured. And then we see later on in Deuteronomy 28. So this is a section where God is basically giving them instruction for warfare. And so there's a part in it where uh, he, he told the, the, the officers to tell the, the warriors or the, the, the soldiers, listen, if you have unfinished business at your house, you can go home. Okay? He also said, hey, if you have a vineyard that it's, it's harvest time, go deal with that. If you are uh, engaged to a woman, go home. So what is he doing? He's thinning, he's thinning his army, right? Then this is the next thing he told them. Then the officers will also say, if anyone here is afraid or worried, if you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. Wow. So he's saying, if you have any unfinished business, go deal with that. Because we want... You if you're going to be here, we want your mind set on the task. Then he goes on to say, is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. So what is this saying? The connotation is that fear and a sense of impending defeat is contagious. Is our God undefeated? Oh, we're not so, so sure right now. After. <laughs> so God is instructing them to remove this type of thinking before they go into battle. It also tells us that God, to God, the size of the army wasn't important. It was the heart of the army that was far more important. Like I said, I don't believe there's probably too many of, com of a complete defeatist. But are there areas in our life that God wants to bring freedom and deliverance to that we have already said, impossible? I've already lost. I'm already defeated. And if we're honest, we can say yes. All of us can say there's some part where we're just like, 
like I bore my heart before you. It is what it is. You know, that was my phrase. And it was a victim mentality phrase. And when something was kind of out of, out of my control, I would just say, it is what it is. So let's look at the parable of the three servants. Matthew 25, 15. I'm just going to give you a few scriptures, but you can read the whole thing. It's in Matthew 25. So this is speaking of the master. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportions to their ability. So the one he gave five to, he's seen that they had the ability to multiply what they've been given. Then it goes on to say, he then left on his trip. And then so he comes back, right, and he talks to the five, and uh, the one he gave five to, he multiplied it, right, and he had ten. Then he goes to the one that had two, and then he multiplied it, he doubled it, right? And then this is the last one. Matthew 25, 25. I was afraid I would lose your money. Defeatist mentality. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, and I want you to think about this. He thought he was doing something well. Look, here's your money back. And then in Matthew 25, 29, to those who use well what they have been given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So he said, take that one that he had and give it to the person that had five. So this is a harsh lesson, right? It's a harsh lesson, but it reveals God's desire for you not to squander what you've been given. Now we know from the one that only had one, he, he saw the master as a harsh taskmaster. And he was afraid. So this goes back to how do you view God? Right? But I want you to notice something also. And it's in verse 15. It says dividing it. Wait, um, where is it at? Dividing it in proportion to their ability, he then left on a trip. Now, I want you to notice something. That that bag of silver was not a wage. It was an investment. Okay? Because if it was a wage, they could have done, it, done with it what they wanted. But this, he was saying, I'm giving you five, expecting you to multiply it. And what I've come to realize that, that the nature of a believer is in direct contrast to defeatism. Romans eight thirty seven. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What are all these things he's talking about? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, peril or sword. These are the things it's talking about. And, and Paul declares, yet in all these things, 
in all these things, in tribulation, in distress, in persecution, in famine, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So our confidence is not in external convenience. It's in him and through him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in other words, I have all that I need to face any circumstance through Christ's sufficiency. It's not faith in our own ability, but Christ's sufficiency. So think about this. Think about this. How can I put this? If we call ourselves a believer, means to believe. To believe that we're more than conquerors. To believe that we can have peace because he has overcome the world. Wouldn't it be contrary then to look at our circumstance and the world around us through the defeatist lens? that I've already lost before it even began. I've already resigned to defeat before it even began. And like I said, I don't believe any of us in here believe that totally, but there might be areas in our life where we just say, it is what it is. But I'm here to say that God wants to bring freedom in your mind. He wants to bring freedom in your body. And he wants to bring freedom in your spirit. So defeatism is the trap, but passivity and inactivity is the goal. So defeatism is the thing that we step into, oh, expecting to lose. But the goal of the trap is to keep you inactive and passive. Why would you even try if you already believe you lost. How many of you believe that in the end, we win? We win. God wins and we're in him, so we win. So it's contrary to view the world through a defeated lens. And whether you believe if pre-trib, post-trib, whatever trip, in the end, we win. So Matthew 25, 25, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, so excited. Here's your money back. So the servant was afraid of the master's response because he believed he was harsh. The other servants, what did they hear? It says they heard good and faithful. Good and faithful. Why? Because their willingness and their ability to use and multiply what they have been given. In verse 14, it says, it says, in Matthew 25, verse 14, it says, entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Like I said before, this was not a wage. This was an investment. Do you see the difference? A wage is, servant, this is what you've done, so I give you this because your labor, and I will give you the funds. But he was giving it as an investment. 
entrusted his, his money. Whose money was it? His money. Entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So my question to you is, what has God entrusted you with? Come on. What has God entrusted you with? What has God placed within you as an investment? Are, are you guys seeing this? When, when Jesus told parables, he did it to explain how the kingdom worked, right? This is what the kingdom looks like. What has God entrusted to you? And what has he placed within you that he expects multiplication because why were the other servants good and faithful? Because they took what was given to them and they multiplied it. And I think sometimes when we look at our world right now, our tendency is to take what we've been given and dig it in the dirt. <laughs> Not in a seed-like way. <laughs> but we're hiding it. We're withholding it. So let me, let me say this. I want you guys to really get this. What this world needs now more than ever is the very thing you've been entrusted with. Okay? What you have been given as an investment by our Father, the world needs now more than ever. But the question is, will we hide it under a bushel? Will we bury it in the backyard? How many bodies do you got back there? <laughs> but another thing is, will we devalue it? Because if you devalue it, you won't utilize it. Right. And that's where this defeatist mentality comes in. God has placed things within us, and we're already saying it's not good enough. You guys know what I'm talking about? God placed things within you that he wants you to share with the world. He wants you to multiply what he's given you. And we're sitting here and saying, I'm not good enough what he's given me. Like that, remember that cartoon with the race in the beginning? Wow, look at her. She is so much more in shape than I am. <laughs> and before the race even begins, we're saying, well... I'm not good enough. What God has given me isn't as good as maybe this person or that person. And we've already resigned ourselves to defeat. Can you see why God wanted me to challenge defeatism? Because he wants you to take what he's invested into you and multiply it. And then give it back to him. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. So Timothy is a person of faith. His mother and grandmother were people of faith. That, that faith was instilled within Timothy. And then this is the next verse. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Next verse. For the spirit of God, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. How many of you, you might have a different version memorized, but how many of you know verse 7 is often quoted alone? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Thank you, Jesus. God has not given me a spirit of fear. 
What is right before that? For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift that I've entrusted within you. Come on. So verse 7 is often quoted alone, but its context is connected to Paul's reminding Timothy to fan into flame, to stir up the gift of God with inside of them. So what happens when you allow the flame inside of you to go dim? What does it say? I remind you to stir up or fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. What happens when we allow it to go dim? Well, it tells us. It gives opportunity for the spirit of fear. Because they're they're hand in hand. I remind you to stir this gift up inside of you. Then it goes on to say, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The word stir up means to kindle anew. Now, most of you think of kindles now as a media device, but it means other things than that. It means to catch fire. It means to burn. It means to become animated, to become illuminated. So fear wants to restrict what's inside of you, but the gift that God has given you is waiting to break out. How do we destroy fear in our life? We generally think we command it to go, and I think that's valid because I've done that in my life and I've gotten freedom. But you got to look how these, this verse is in context. The context is, hey, remember this, Timothy, stir up that gift that's within inside of you. And when you don't steward that gift within inside of you, it goes dim and then it gives opportunity for fear. So in the natural, you stir up a fire by giving it fuel. Now, I've never been diagnosed with this, but I believe I'm a pyromaniac. (laughs) Uh, Never clinically uh, diagnosed, but I like fire. And I've destroyed, you know, antique things with fire. And I've lost eyebrows with fire. I just like fire. Now, I haven't had as much time to do it, but now now we have a, a fireplace that I've been getting back into my my, um, I don't want to say evil ways, but you know, I like fire. Like if you're sitting by a fire, I have to touch it. We have to move it around. I can't just let it be, you know? So I'm an expert on fire. If you didn't know. All right. In the natural, you stir up fire by giving it fuel. And one of the fuels is oxygen, right? You blow on it. How many of you have ever started a fire before you blow on it? But in my case, I like, well, maybe not in the beginning stage, but in my case, I like to use a sled. You know those sleds, those little cheap ones from Walmart, the plastic sleds? That's how I like to fuel my fire. And I tell you, it's a real, it is a real crowd pleaser for the kids because they're like, whoa, and then it shoots up really high, you know? But in a spiritual sense, how do you give, how do you stir up the gift? How do you give it oxygen? Will you speak to who you are in God? This is who God created me to be. You begin to speak what God has called you to be. You come into agreement with what God says. You know, there's a type of praise that is basically repeating what God says. To take what he says and to praise him with what he's already said. 
to, de to declare his promises. So in the spirit realm, how do we give oxygen to our giftings? We begin to speak to it. We begin to blow on it. The second thing that you, that you uh, can do to stir up a fire is to give it more substance to burn. How many of you know, like, if you just have the ashes, see, I'm an expert in this, if you didn't know. <laughs> you have ashes, right? And you can get out, you can get out that, uh, that sled, and guess what? For a little bit, it will shoot up, and then it will die down. Why? Because there's no more substance for it to attach itself to. All right? So the second thing that you have to do to stir up that gift or stir up fire is to give it more substance. Your gifts will never burn unless you give them substance. You have to place things within your life so that your gifting has something to attach itself to. You have to give it substance to burn. And to be honest, when I started leading worship, I didn't know I wanted to lead worship, okay? Actually, the reason I got into leading worship is we had Wednesday night services and no one in the band wanted to do it. So guess who got to do it? Me. And it wasn't pretty back then. It, it was probably very uh, unique, we'll just say. But you guys survived through it. Thank you, Jesus. But the thing about it was, is I didn't have a passion for it until I put something in my hands. Till I gave it substance to burn. A lot of times God speaks these things to us or invests things into us and we don't give it, we don't give it any substance for it to burn. So if you want to stir up or kindle the gift with inside of you, you have to give it something to work with. Because like I said, with those ashes, even if you give it oxygen, what will it do? It will burst up really quick and then die down. Because it's just, it's just embers, right? So it, for it to be a raging fire, raging, I like that, raging fire, you have to give it substance. You have to give it wood for it to become a, to become a blaze. So what are things within your life that God has entrusted to you, but they're still waiting for, for you to give it substance? It's a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer me now. But it's something to think about. There's plenty of reasons why we should pull back. How many of you know that, right? There's plenty of reasons why we should pull back. There's plenty of reasons why we should become disheartened. There's plenty of reasons why we should give up. There's plenty of reasons to become passive in, and inactive. And let me tell you what, the enemy re will remind you of those all the time. But what have you been entrusted with? You know, my parents always kind of joke about like when they were... Um, newly saved, there was a lot of teaching that God could come back any moment. He's talked about that a lot. So you guys weren't going to even have kids because God could come back at any moment. We weren't going to go do this. We weren't going to like even get more education or take this type of job because Jesus was coming back any moment. And so they were stifling things. They were restricting things because how they viewed the world. And what could happen. And I think we 
we fall into that now. I can't do these things because of this. I can't do this because what I just read. I can't do this because you know what they're doing. I can't do this. What's inside of you? Hey, you're like, if God entrusted it to you, he knew you would live at this time in this moment. Right? He knew it. It wasn't like, whoa, God's like taken off by surprise. What? He's like looking down and saying, what's happening here? <laughs> he's actually made you for this time. He, he's made you for this purpose. But will you stir it up? Will you give it some? Hey, if you think, if you think there's no hope, just ride it out. <laughs> just ride it out. But I believe that God has placed things within you for a purpose and a time. And he's like Paul. I remind you to fan into flame. And when the flame or when the gifting within inside of us is dim, it gives opportunity for fear. Come on. Aren't you glad you came today? And the truth is, it's easy to fall into the trap of defeatism. It's easy. Accepting an attitude that expects failure as a far-gone conclusion. Because have, have you ever been disappointed? So sometimes when we've been disappointed, what do we do? We say, I'm not, I'm not going to have any expectation whatsoever. Because if I don't have expectations, I won't get hurt. And what does that do? It produces passivity and inactivity. And when the master came back, he said, what did you do? What did you do with the gifts that I entrusted to you? Well, Lord, did you see all what was happening? I was so afraid. I thought I would just save it in here, then lose it. But the master entrusted it to them, his money. He entrusted his money to them with the expectation that there will be multiplication. So what do you have inside of you that God has entrusted? Thank you, Father. I have a part two to this, but... I'm just, I'm figuring out how to land the plane. You know what I mean? Land the plane. So thank you, Father. So maybe we'll just leave it at that. I mean, I know it was kind of stating the problem, but I hope it brought hope that, hey, God's placed things within you that need to come out. This is the perfect time in history for them to come out. The world needs what you have right now. So I want to challenge that defeatist mentality that just says, well, I'm just going to wait it out. I'm just going to accept failure. I'm just going to expect failure. I'm going to resign to failure because I'm afraid. But God has invested something in you, and he expects a return. Lord, we just thank you for today, God. Lord, I pray that this sermon challenged those that heard it. I pray 
that even as I spoke, they kind of tuned me out a little bit, but your spirit was speaking to them, illuminating things, revealing things. And so, Lord, I asked right now in the name of Jesus for faith to arise in this house. I decree faith and hope and expectation to arise in this house. I decree right now that our mentality will shift from, well, I'm just not going to have kids now because Jesus could come back any moment, but I am going to utilize the thing that you have placed within me. I'm going to stir it up. I'm going to shut the door to fear. So, Lord, I just thank you that faith will arise within those who hear this. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Lord, we just release it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This is my kind of message. Oh, my goodness. Right now, if you see value in yourself, I want you to stand up. I'm waiting for everyone to stand up because there is great value on the inside of you and God has chosen you at this time in history to release what he's placed inside of you. This message was a word from the Lord, not just to give us hope, but to challenge us to step out and be who God has called us to be. So you see value in yourself. Now, how many of you are willing to say, okay, God, It might not seem like a big thing here or a big thing there, but I'm going to step out and I am going to make an investment into who I am and the value that I hold so that I would believe what God says about me so I can do what God has called me to do. How many of you are willing to make an investment into yourself? Father, I just thank you and praise you. Lord, they can get the I am statements. They can feed on the word. They can pray in the spirit. They can get some training or education. They can be equipped. Lord, you're going to give them unique, creative ways in which they can rise up and apply the message that they heard today to say, I'm taking what God has placed inside of me and I'm submitting it back to the Lordship of Christ and I'm going to grow and I'm going to advance and I'm going to increase and I'm going to multiply. Father, I thank you and praise you right now that we break off a spirit of defeatism. We break off all passivity. We break off every strategy of the enemy that just wants us to sit in our homes worried about everything that's happening around us. We just release a spirit of generosity. Oh, yes, I just hear. You know what? If you're afraid you won't have enough, then give something away today. Say, well, I don't have any money. Give something away. When we first moved to this valley, we would say, okay, kids, what do you want to give away? Well, there wasn't anything they wanted to give away because they didn't have that much. And they weren't allowed to take the thing they didn't like. They had to take something they did like. I remember we bought Joel a TV. He gave it away. He got a car and gave a car away. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not going to buy my kid anything else because everything you give him, he gave away. Why? Because there was such a hunger in him for God. What he was doing was making investments into the gifting in his life. And guess what? We all got something. 
Come on, we all got something. You already recognize your value. How can you take that and invest it into the advancement of the kingdom of God? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your power and your presence, your voice, your heart being released to them today. Lord God, that they won't just say, oh, that was a nice message, but Lord, they would apply it. They would go home and they would do something right away. Lord God, that they would say, what can I make? What can I do? How can I partner with heaven so that what God has placed inside of me not only can increase, but I can expand the kingdom of God? You know, the greatest time, guys, to be a light is in darkness. I'm saying, God, send me to the darkest places. (laughs) We're freaking out about what's happening. It's our opportunity, guys. This is our opportunity. Let's value someone who can't see value in themselves. Let's, some, let's love somebody that doesn't expect to be loved. It doesn't take a lot to take truth and invest it. Oh, I got to stop. Thank you, Father. Father, I mean, honestly... Honestly, guys, if you, you need to listen to this again and say, how can I apply it to our life, our family, my business, wherever I'm at, how can I apply this? Because I want to be a vessel meet for the master's use. I want to hear. When I get to heaven, all I want to hear is, daughter, you did good. That's all I want. It's not for the accolades of men here. I just want my father to say, you did good. And to do good, I got to do something, right? It's not works. It's a response to loving God, to wanting to build his kingdom. And I said, I'd stop. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless them, Lord. I just thank you and praise you that you're stirring in their hearts. You're speaking to them by your spirit right now in the name of Jesus. Let's just take a moment. I want you to think, What's one thing you're going to do within this next week? What's one thing you are going to do? One thing that will build who you are. One thing that will touch lives. Does everybody have one thing? Father, I thank you that they will not be passive because just by doing that one thing, they have made a major step forward. And you will take that seed and you will multiply that seed. And Lord, it will so impact their lives that they'll be ready to sow again and invest again and build again and love again and hope again. Father, I thank you and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the ministry team.